here in Arkansas. So Mary and Brian uh, have fond memories of their time in Arkansas. It's also why they're huge fans of the University of Arkansas, Wupig Suey, for those that love them. Uh, they have several hobbies. One of their hobbies is hiking, which is great, um, because when they lived in Arkansas, they could hike the, the mountains and the hills here in the Ozarks, and now that they live in Roanoke, they uh, have the Appalachian Mountains there that they can hike, so they love to, to go hiking. That's one of their hobbies. Uh, but their favorite hobby is traveling. Uh, recently, they had a chance to go to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., about five hours from their house. Uh, they, they, they visited there, and uh, Brian had the unique opportunity to open up uh, the session, the day's session in Congress uh, with prayer. He got to stand there, down there on uh, the House of Representatives, and he prayed, and uh, Mary had the opportunity to be with him, and they have fond memories of, of that trip. They also, he also got to lead a Bible study of both congressmen and senators uh, later that same day, and they had a blast on that trip. It's a, a memory that they will cherish forever. They also uh, recently went to uh, Romania. They spent 10 days in Romania. They had an awesome trip to Romania, enjoyed learning the culture there. Um, they actually got to share Christ while they were in Romania uh, and, and loved, loved uh, uh, experiencing their hobby of travel in Romania. And then uh, a few weeks ago, they were in uh, London, England. They were there at the end of February, 1st of March. And they had saved up money to go to uh, London, England. They saved up a little bit at a time, and they were looking forward to this trip. They had a blast on it because they had earned the money, you know, saved it. You've probably done that at some point or, you know, set a, a little bit aside, gone without uh, some things that you normally go, you know, normally are part of life. But you go without those in an effort to save money to go on this trip. And that's what uh, Brian and Mary Smith did. And they loved their trip to uh to uh, London, England. They put tons of pictures up on the internet, on their Facebook page, and they just had a blast. And people were excited. Some of their friends were excited about the opportunity that they had to go and, and uh, travel um, to London. In, in the near future, not too distant future, uh, Brian is going to retire. And um, it, it seems to me that Mary um, is a stay-at-home wife, was a stay-at-home mom to uh, Parker and to Katie. Um, in an effort to, to uh, uh, um, travel with Brian on these trips. So she, she goes without working um, and stays home so that she could go on these trips with Brian. And they love spending their time together with each other. Now, a uh, little confession. I have no idea who Brian and Mary Smith are. <laughs> Never met them. I don't know them. You may be thinking, okay, so why are you doing this? Well, yesterday afternoon, I was trying to think of a way to introduce um, this series that we're about to kick off. And Mary Jo showed me this little uh, uh, meme, I guess is what it's called. And it said, uh, it said uh, that, that awkward moment when you, when you meet somebody that you've looked up on Facebook and you don't know whether to um, ask them how their trip to London, England went, or to introduce yourself. And, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. That's, that's what we got to do. So we were sitting on the back porch watching our kids play in the backyard. I said, hey, look up Mary Smith, because regularly we'll go to the airport 
they'll say, oh, Scott Mary Smith, those are generic names. And so I said, look up Mary Smith, and let's see how much information we can find out about her. And so she looked up, and so about 10 minutes, we found this lady, Mary Smith. We looked up everything we could. I got back on for a, a half a minute this morning, found a couple more things, wrote them down. Now, here's the thing. I know a lot about Mary Smith, but my sociologist professor from college would say this. I do not know Brian and Mary Smith. I don't know. I know a lot about them. I know that they love to travel. I even know where they've been. I've seen pictures where they've been. I know where he works. I know, I know that she stays home. I know, uh, I know where she was born. I know where she lives uh, now. I know where she lived in between. I know where her kids were born. I mean, I know a lot about Mary Smith. And if I ever run into her, I am going to introduce myself by saying, how was London in 2016? <laughs> That's just what I'm going to do. But I don't know Mary Smith. To know Mary Smith and to know Brian Smith, I'd have to sit down at the table with him. Maybe at their house, maybe at mine. And say, hey, tell me about your dreams. Tell me how was that that day when, when Parker and Katie were born. Tell me about that day. Or maybe tell me about that day in Van Buren, Arkansas, when you showed up to the doctor and the doctor said, uh, you're not having one, you're having two. Tell me about that day. Tell me, what led, what led you, Brian and Mary, to, to pull up roots after all those years in Arkansas and transplant yourself to Roanoke, Virginia? I mean, tell me about that. What were, what were your hopes? What were your dreams for the church that you went to be the pastor of? Tell me about that season when Parker and Katie undoubtedly were a little bit rebellious. For me to, to know Brian and Mary Smith, I, gotta, I have to do more than just know facts about them. I've got to do more than just spend a few minutes finding out details about their life. I have to talk to them. I have to know their heart. They have to hear from my heart. A friendship grows. And then I can say, really and truly, I know Brian and Mary Smith. Here's why I say that. We live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Even in 2016, with all the... the the statistics about our, our downward trend when it comes to church attendance and our beliefs in, 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 um, in, in biblical morals and, and our beliefs in who Jesus was and all that. We still live in the buckle of the Bible belt here in southwest Missouri. And just about everybody, I'm not saying everybody, but just about everybody you talk to is going to say, hey, yeah, I've been to church before. Eh, you know, what's good for you is good, but, but I'm not really antagonistic to Jesus. It's just not my thing. I mean, you're not going to, very few people in our area are going to say, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. If I did, I wouldn't like it. I mean, there's just not a real antagonism to, to Jesus, to the Bible, in our culture here in southwest Missouri and Web City, Joplin, Missouri area. But, while we can have a conversation with a lot of people here in this area about Jesus, my concern is that there are many of them who don't know him. A lot of people in our area grew up, they went to Sunday school, they learned some facts about him, they could tell you about some of his miracles, they could tell you about some of his life, but they don't know him. And even of more concern to me this morning is that there are some people in this room who know about Jesus, but they've never met him. They don't know him. 
And so my hope, my desire, my prayer is that over the next seven, eight weeks, there's a couple weeks in there we won't be in the series, but over the next seven, eight weeks, taking us to about Memorial Day, my prayer is that we would meet with, we would know Jesus, Him crucified, buried, and risen. We would know Him for who He is. We would know His heart for us. We would know His desires for us. We would know Him intimately. We simply would not learn about Him. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus through the book of John. There's seven of them. And we're going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus, and we're going to learn, meet with Him, know Him. And my prayer is that we would walk out, each and every one of us, personally, knowing, believing, having faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, this morning, I pray that we wouldn't simply know about Jesus, your Son. We would know Him personally. We would have faith in, in the work of the cross his burial and his resurrection, his defeat of death, stating once and for all that he was indeed who he claimed to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the people found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Teacher, when did you get here? I'm telling you the truth. You're looking for me because you ate the bread and had all you wanted. Not because you understood my miracles. Do not work for food that spoils. We said work for the food that lasts for eternal life. This is the food which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has put his mark of approval on him. What? in order to do what God wants us to do. What miracle will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Just as scripture says, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I am telling you the truth. What Moses gave you is not the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread that God gives is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never be hungry. Those who believe in me will now be thirsty. That's the first I am statement. Of Jesus, He says, I am the bread of life. Let me set up what's going on in this, in, in this scene. Jesus, John chapter 6, if you're turning there, if you're looking for it, we'll have the, the verses on the screen here in just in a minute. But here's what's going on. Jesus has just fed uh, between fifteen and 20,000 people. The Bible tells us 5,000 family units. Jesus was teaching. The, the people had heard about him. They wanted to find him, so they came out into outside of the city, out into the, the outskirts of the city to come in contact with him and see if they might see a miracle for themselves. Jesus turns to one of his disciples and said, Hey, they've had a long journey. They've heard me teach probably for a little while. They are hungry. How can we feed them? And Philip says, I could work for half of a year 
and I wouldn't have enough money to even dent the, the uh, paying for all of these people's food. Jesus then turns to another disciple, I believe it's Andrew, says, hey, what do you think we should do when the people are hungry? All 15, 20,000 people are hungry. What should we do? Andrew said, well, I know that there's a little boy over there. He has, he has some, some uh, fish and uh, five loaves of, of bread and two fish. He has his little Hebrew Happy Meal. And, uh, but I don't know what that'll do. That's not even going to dent it. He said, well, go over and, and ask the little boy for his lunch. So the disciple goes over and says, hey, Jesus wants your, uh, your, your, your lunch. He wants your, your loaves and your, and your fish. I don't know why he wants it. Maybe he's going to eat it and the joke's on us. I don't know. But can he have, can the rabbi have uh, your, your lunch? The little boy, obviously, he, he says yes. And you know the story. He prays over it. The disciples begin to hand out the food and it just multiplies. They eat up to their, to their full. He said, eat till you're full. And they all eat 15, 20,000 of them. Eat and eat and eat until they're full. And then they, the Jesus says, we don't want to waste anything. Let's bring it back. And, and so let's, let's collect it, put it back in baskets, and then bring it back to me. So they collect all the food after everybody's eaten their entire fill. You know, they're, they're overflowing. They collect the food, put it in the basket, bring it back to Jesus. And there's 12 baskets full of food, bread and fish left over. And the people say, we have got to make this guy our king. Uh, much of their life, much of their worry was spent on where the next meal was going to come from. Where are we going to find our next meal? And so uh, they, they didn't have the ability to, to save food like we do. They couldn't freeze it. And so they, they, they couldn't you know, buy something or catch something and then put it in the freezer and eat it a, a week later. So as a result, a large portion of their day was spent finding food, cooking food, making food, eating food. And then they would worry about the next meal right after they were done. Where are we going to find the next meal? Well, if they found a king, if they found a man who could fix that for them, they were more than willing to do whatever it took to make him king. He feeds us. We don't have to worry. We want him to be in charge. Well, Jesus says, that's not my purpose. That's not the reason I'm here. So, the Bible tells us he retreats to the mountains. Night falls, and the disciples head across the sea. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, goes and he catches up with them by walking on the sea. Not by the sea, on the sea. Like, I want to see that. Walking on the sea. He catches up with them, and then the Bible says they're on the other side. People wake up in the morning, they're looking for Jesus. They get word that he might be across the sea on the other side of Capernaum. So they jump in their own boats, go across, and they find him there. And they say, Jesus, how did you get over here? Master, how did you get over here? And, if you don't mind doing that same trick, that same miracle you did yesterday, I'm starting to get hungry again. And Jesus says, look, you didn't come to find me because you wanted to talk to me. You wanted to know me. No, you, you wanted me to do the, the miracle. You wanted me to feed you. You wanted to use me for your own ends. And the Savior of the world will not be used. You will not use him for a different ends. They wanted, they wanted Jesus to make them full, not so that they could know Jesus and what he was all about. And so that's when Jesus says, look, I, I didn't come to feed you bread that will 
that, that, that you can put into your mouth that you eat and then in a few hours you get hungry again. No, I came to give you bread that when you eat of it, you'll never be hungry again. And the people didn't get it. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 25 of John chapter 6. Here's what he says. They found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea. And they said to him, Rabbi, where, or when did you come here? He answered, truly, truly. Now, when he drops truly, truly, it's about to get serious, okay? So here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you are seeking me because you want me to feed you, not because you want to know me. Keep going. Next verse. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I want to give you something that you'll never be hungry again. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of, the, of, of, uh, of God? In other words, how do we fix this problem? How do we get this bread? What do we have to do to find this bread? Now, every other religion that the world offers gives a list here. A list of things to do, a list of places to go, a list of statues to pray to, a list of rituals to, 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 to uh, do, a song and dance routine, something. They always give you something here to appease God. Every other religion, in an effort to appease God, gives you a list, gives you things to do. To appease God, to get this bread, to find this bread, a place to go. Look at what Jesus says. He doesn't give a, a, a place. He doesn't give a routine. He doesn't give a list. Look at what he says. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of, of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You don't do anything. You don't go anywhere. You believe in the only one sent by God. The conversation continues. They don't get it. Jump down to verse 34. So the crowd, still not understanding, said this to him. Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. What does this mean? I am the bread of life. And what is Jesus talking about here? Obviously it's a metaphor. But what's the metaphor What's Jesus trying to teach? I want to give you three things. Number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the bread of life. Number three, I am the bread of life. Not joking, those are my three points. <laughs> Number one, I want to look at this. I am the bread of life. What is Jesus doing when he appeals to bread in this metaphor? Well, as I, as I told you, bread was much more important to people in the first century than it is to us. Many of the things that we take for granted when it comes to our eating... That were luxuries for them, many luxuries that they never would experience. For example, meat was very expensive or it was very difficult to keep um, uh, in, in a way uh, that they could eat it beyond right after catching it and so or, or killing it. So meat was a luxury in the first century. Many people rarely, rarely ate uh, meat. As a result, bread was the center of their meal. It was the center of, of almost every meal that they eat, that they would eat. It was the very source of life for them. When Jesus appeals to bread, and he talks about bread, and he says, I am the bread. They understood that without bread, I don't live, I don't survive, 
think? So when he appeals to bread, he's appealing to the very source of life for the people in the first century. Without bread, they die. Not only that, but the meaning's even a little bit deeper. He said this, when he said, I am the bread of life, they understood that it was the, the very source of their existence. It was the very, bread was the very source of their life, but they also understood this, that unless something else dies, I don't get to eat. And that's whether you're a, uh, whether you eat meat or you're a vegetarian, in both instances, on both sides, something must die so that you and I can live when we eat it. And Jesus was saying, Look, I am the bread of life. I, I offer you uh, sustenance. I offer you uh, the, the nutrients that you need to survive. But something is going to have to die so that you can eat it. This bread that I'm talking about is going to have to be broken. That's what we just acknowledged when we came to the Lord's table. That his life was broken for us. Die so that we, and that you and I, so that we could eat of it in, in, in essence, in a, in, a, in a metaphorical sort of sense. We can eat of his life and live. We can have the nutrients to be in existence spiritually. <clears throat> but the meaning even went deeper than that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. They understood that without bread they would die. It was the, the nutrients needed, the sustenance needed for life. Something else had to die so that I could eat of it. But the meaning even went deeper in the first century. When people were at odds, or countries were at odds, when, it, when they came to a truce, the very first thing they would do is that they would eat. They would have a meal together. And in, in, in a very real, real, tangible way, they were telling the, the world, they were telling their neighbors, we used to be at odds with each other, but now we have come to a truce. Now we have, we have a, a reconciliation. We have been reconciled to each other. And we want to show you a picture of this reconciliation by having a meal together. They would do this in, in the first century and all throughout history. This was a picture of reconciliation. Two sides that were at odds coming together in a truce and reconciliation and showing the world that they were now friends with each other. I was looking this week. I came across a cool story that illustrates this. During World War I in the winter of 1914, on the battlefield of Flanders, one of the most unusual events in all of human history took place. The Germans had been in a fierce battle with the British and French. Both sides were dug in, safe in muddy, man-made trenches, six to eight feet deep, that seemed to stretch forever. All of a sudden, German troops began to put small Christmas trees lit with candles outside of their trenches. Then they began to sing songs. Across the way, in the no-man's land between them, came songs from the British and French troops as well. Incredibly, many of the Germans were able to speak enough good English, good enough English to propose a Christmas truce. The British and French troops all along the miles of trenches accepted. Signboards arose up and down the trenches. You know fight, we know fight was the most frequently employed German message. Some Brit units improvised Merry Christmas banners and waited for a response. More placards on both sides popped up. Spontaneous, a spontaneous truce resulted. Soldiers left their trenches, 
meeting in the middle to shake hands. The first order of business was to bury the dead who had been previously unreachable because of the conflict. Then they sat down together and ate chocolate cake. And this truce went on for a couple days before the fighting resumed. All throughout history, bread, a meal eaten together was a sign that reconciliation had taken place. Jesus, when he said, I am the bread of life, when he said bread, he was saying, I am the nutrients you need to survive. And for you to feast on on me, metaphorically, my life is going to have to be broken. And when my life is broken, then you can be reconciled to God. You you have been at odds with God since Adam and Eve sinned. You've been, your, your relationship has been broken. You can't approach God. You can't have a relationship with God. You know about God, but you don't know God. And I have shown up on the scene, and as the bread of life, I have offered reconciliation, a truce between you and God. And it is found only in the bread of life. It's found only in me. Point number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the bread of life. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about this life? Well, it's really found, the answer is found in verse 27. Here's what it says. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Right there. Which the Son of Man will give to you. The whole book of John is basically that you can have life through this man named Jesus. If you want to find eternal life, it's found in this man named Jesus. And Jesus appeals to that in this verse. He says, you want eternal life? You find it in me. You find it in the bread of life. Now, every time I hear eternal life, I always major on the eternal part. That this life goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. But the the, the, uh, uh, writer, the gospel writer John, here, he's not majoring on the eternal part. He is majoring on life. In the Greek... There are two words for life. Number one is bios. And that's where we get the word biology. And all it means is to be physically alive. I'm breathing. You know, air's coming into my lungs. Air's going out of my lungs. My brain's working. My heart's pumping. I have bios. I have life. But there is another word for life in the Greek. And it's this, zoe. And here's what it means. The absolute fullness of life. Real life. Genuine Quality of life. A couple years ago, we were, we were out on the lake um, in a friend's boat. We were with a friend in the boat. Grayson loves to go boat, uh, boat riding, going, we're going for a ride on a boat. And we were on a friend's boat. He was probably five years old right around there. And we're flying down the lake. He and I are on the front uh, of the boat. We're kind of on the bow. The bow rider, we're up on, on the bow. And he's sitting in my lap, five years old, and he turns to me as we're flying down the lake. He turns to me and he says, Dad, this is the life. <laughs> now, is he talking about bios? Like, this is the, this is breathing? No. He was talking about zoe. Man, this is a, I'm having a blast here. I have a quality of life. I am loving this life on the boat. Jesus stands up before the crowds and he says, I am the bread of Zoe. When you find this bread, you're not just going to exist. No, you're going to have a quality of life. 
that goes on forever. You're going to love life. You're going to be doing things that you enjoy. You're going to have a quality of life. You're going to be turning and saying, this is the life like my five-year-old did. And that that life goes on forever. The bread of Zoe offers that. And it doesn't start on the other side of eternity. He invites you to partake on the bread of life. That quality of life starts right then. You have a new uh, uh, perspective. You have a new understanding of what life means. It's a quality of life that people outside of Christ never understand. And it starts today. And he offers it forever and ever and ever. I am the bread of Zoe. I offer a quality of life that this world simply cannot offer. Number three, I am. What is Jesus talking about when he says I am? Well, in the Greek, I am is normally not spoken. It's normally dropped. So somebody would say normally bread of life and people would understand that I am is, is in front of that. But he would, you wouldn't normally speak that. Every language has this. For example, if I'm having a conversation with Grayson and I say, pick up the, pick up the bag. What I mean is, Grayson, I want you to pick up the bag. I don't have to say all that. It's understood. So it is with Greek and every other language. There are, there are shorthand things that you can say that are just understood by everybody listening. I am was one of those statements in the Greek. But Jesus, seven times in the book of John that we're going to explore over the next few months, says, I am. And when he does, it is as if he is shouting, as if he is yelling to make the point. Well, what point is he making? It was abundantly clear to the first century uh, Jews that were listening to him, the Israelites there. He was claiming to be God. He was appealing back to the name that God gave Moses. You remember the story probably. Moses is hanging out in the wilderness. God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go free the Israelites from Pharaoh. Okay, but who do I say sent me? And um, God said right there in the burning bush, tell them I am sent you. It literally meant to be in the Hebrew. And what that means is that God is always being. He is dependent upon nobody. You never say God will be such and such or God used to be such and such. No, he's always been. And you never say God is dependent upon something for existence or he's dependent upon something for anything. No, he always is. He always has been. He always will be. And he is not dependent upon anybody or anything for anything. He, he just is. I am. I always am. I always am. And that was the name that God gave Moses. And this is the name. And it was abundantly clear to the Israelites. This is the name that Jesus uses for himself. And in doing so, claims to be on parallel or on par, on the same plane as God himself. <clears throat> so this morning, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in doing so, he was saying, God has come. And I am Him. And I came and I offer nutrients for life. I offer everything you 
if you want to live, if you want to have a life, you, you find it in me. I am where you find life. But my life is going to have to be broken. It's going to have to die. And by dying, I am reconciling you. I'm offering you an opportunity to reconcile with the God of the universe that was broken back in the Garden of Eden. I'm offering you the opportunity to reconcile with the God of the universe. And if you will reconcile, if you will partake of this bread, then you have a quality of life that goes on forever and ever and ever. And that's because you have found me. When you believe, place your faith in that, then you are in essence eating the bread. And in doing so, you don't know just about Jesus. You know him personally. And it's my prayer that every person in here would do and know just that. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you for the opportunity to partake, to eat metaphorically on the bread of life. And in doing so, we have Zoe, we have a quality of life that goes on forever because we are in you. We've found you. Lord, I pray this would be the reality for each and every person in this room. That they would leave here knowing you, not simply knowing about you. In Jesus' name.